Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, welcome back, folks. Larry Kudlow here. We bring in a great friend and a very important Republican senator from uh, the West, from the resource state of North Dakota, home of the back and share, Senator John Hoven. Senator Hoven, thank you for your time. We appreciate it, sir. Larry, always good to be with you. Hope you're doing well. I am. By the way, uh, you are fabulous on the TV show. I don't want you to get a swelled head, but you had very high ratings in your segment. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that, Larry, and it's always good to join you. You know, I mean, uh, we've uh, worked together for years, so it's always good to join you, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no, we had a very uh, good conversation. So there's a whole bunch of things here regarding this OPEC Plus decision, and in general, uh, Biden administration energy policies. But, Senator Hoven, the first thing I want to raise is, how in the world, and I think Americans are a lot smarter than the Bidens think they are, how in the world can you operate a policy that says it's okay uh, to drill and produce oil in these dictatorships like Iran or Venezuela or China, which is producing coal, as you well know, but it's not okay to produce fossils in the United States. It's not okay. Instead, we have to rob and destroy the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. I mean, how do you get away with that? It, that's a that's a I'm asking you an oil economics question, but I'm also asking you a political question. Well, it is geopolitical, isn't it? And you left out Russia. There's another autocracy yes. where they produce oil. I mean, so, of course, your point. I mean, you, your question makes your point. It's ridiculous. And not only is it ridiculous on its face, Larry, but who has the best environmental stewardship? Mm. Hands down the United States. Mm. And so, you know, the whole point is not only are we talking about a situation where instead of producing here at home, which is what we absolutely need to do, where it is we get on the most dependable basis with the best environmental stewardship, where, you know, it addresses national security issues as well because we're energy secure here at home. Instead, we've got an administration that has a policy where uh, they're, as I said, you know, when we talked uh, this week, they're putting the handcuffs on our producers, and then they're going to places like, good heavens, uh, like Venezuela or Iran or OPEC plus, uh, you know, to, to get uh, oil and gas. It, it's it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. How can they, you know, just to pause a moment on the Venezuela story, uh, Nicolas Maduro is basically, Senator Hoven, He's basically a socialist, communist. He's backed uh, the Secret Service. We did a lot of work, uh, John Bolton and I and others, uh, Mike Pence, for example. We we looked at uh, six ways till Thursday to try to figure out how to overthrow him. Uh, you know, we backed the head of the National Assembly, Juan, Juan Gaidar, I think his name is. But how can they seriously think they can do business with a guy like uh, Maduro in Venezuela, who was financed by Russia, China, and Cuba, and where the Cuban Secret Service basically runs the place. I mean, really? To get, what, a couple of barrels of very dirty oil? I mean, how can they even think about that, the Bidens? Well, first of all, it's wrong on its face. 
face. I mean, from the standpoint that you're dealing with somebody who's a dictator who abuses human rights, look, look what he's done uh, in his country to abuse his people and how they're suffering because of his dictatorship, uh, total abuser of human rights. So on its face, it's just wrong. But then you make the second very uh, correct point, and that is it won't work. It yeah. won't work. Take, take my state of North Dakota. We were producing 1.5 million barrels a day of oil at the end of the Trump administration. We're down to about a million. That's half a million barrels right there, hmm. just my state. Now, think if we weren't prevented from producing on federal lands, if we weren't held up in court with a permitting, if we could actually build the pipelines and, and so forth that we need to get that oil to market, we would be producing 2 million. Hmm. Instead, he takes us from 1.5 down to 1. Hmm. Just my state alone, that's another million barrels. Okay, he was. He's been taking a million barrels a day out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Mm. Well, we could have produced that right here at North Dakota and not depleted the reserve. We're one state. Obviously, you go around, apply that to Texas and other oil-producing states. You can see that instead of being at less than 12 million barrels a day nationally, we should be north of 14 million barrels a day. Mm. There's 2 million barrels a day. He wouldn't have to go to these other places. That's why the simple solution staring us in the face is to produce more oil here at home. Yeah, you know, we and natural gas and natural gas, as well as coal fired electricity, all those things. We are a huge energy powerhouse. Let's uh, unleash our potential. The thought I had in general terms is that we had the power. We held the whip hand. We held energy power. We were independent and dominant. What's happened in just two years, indeed, less than two years, Senator Hoban, we have given that power to Saudi Arabia and OPEC, who had it for all those decades, going all the way back to the Arab oil embargo. We took the power away during the Trump years, and now Biden has given them the power back. That's a seems to me, sir, that's a very bad I, I know the economics are bad, as you just described. you you have to cut back on your production in in uh, Dakota. But, I mean, in geopolitical terms, that's very bad. We have given bad people more power, and we've lost our energy power. Right. I mean, and, again, it's not just about energy. Remember, we're staring at, at inflation that that, it, that hits our low-income people the hardest. They're seeing a situation where, you know, inflation is, is uh, more than chewing up any wage gains they're making, um, you know, so, I mean, you're seeing inflation at run north of 8%, wage gains at running maybe 5%. That actually dissipates their actual wages. And remember, that energy cost, that's a component of inflation in every product and service. So first, mm-hmm. as you said, the economic thing. But but you're making a very important point. The national security thing, the geopolitical dynamics. Look, if we were producing 14 million barrels of oil a day or more, which we could easily be doing, again, with the best environmental stewardship, we would be telling OPEC Plus and other places what to do and how, you know, this is going to work. And we wouldn't even, I mean, with Maduro and Iran and places like that, we'd put crushing sanctions on them. I mean, you deal from a position of strength, not weakness. And energy dominance, as you said, was part of us dealing from a position of strength in world events. You know, like it or not, like it or not, Biden's uh, worldwide powered 80% by fossil fuels, Senator Hoven. And despite the trillions of dollars, this is the work done 
by my friend Bjorn Lomborg, but also others have done this. Uh, Steve Coonan, distinguished physicist who actually worked for Obama years ago. I'm just saying worldwide, we've spent about $5 trillion and the needle hasn't moved. So 80% of the world's energy comes from fossil fuels. That has not changed. And I'm not against renewables. I don't think you're against renewables, but you don't end fossils in order to support renewables. And this is why I talk about this power shift, sir. The power shift troubles me enormously. We took OPEC's power away. Now we've just given it back. And they are not our best buddies. Well, there's a there's like three things that I want to bring up there because, I mean, I think you really – you know, got onto something uh, that's very important. First, as far as the, we have to look at things globally. So the the, uh, the whole aspect of more energy, more cost effectively, more dependably, and addressing the, the all the security issues is our ability to drive the technology. Uh, you know, you're an economist. Mm-hmm. You know that nobody has greater innovation and entrepreneur activity and all those things that drive technologies better than the United States. So as we drive the technology forward in, in energy production and development, we do it, we, we enhance the environmental stewardship and then the rest of the world adopts it. So like you say, you know, 80% of the world still using fossil fuels. We're the place where the technologies are developed, where we produce it more effectively, efficiently, and efficiently with better environmental stewardship, and then other countries adopt it. That's the real solution to more energy mm. and with the best uh, environmental stewardship is you advance the technologies. We do that here, so empower the investment. Don't hold it up with this ESG stuff and all these other things. Let those Unleash those market forces, Larry. That's how, mm. like you say, as far as producing all energies, sure, types of energy, but it should be through market forces and innovation and entrepreneurial activity and new technology. That's not only what benefits our country. And I know you know this because, I mean, that's your the training. This is in your wheelhouse. But then the other countries will adopt it around the globe. And so that's the best approach from an economic standpoint, unleash those market forces. And then, like you say, you empower free societies like ours mm-hmm. and you put the, you know, you put the hammer down on those autocracies and those abusers of human rights. Yeah, that's really the key thing. I mean, I remember, uh, Senator, when I was a young pup starting out, uh, I was working at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York in the uh, early mid-70s when, uh, I guess it was 1973, the uh, Arab oil embargo, which destroyed our economy. And then we had multiple threats of that. I went to Wall Street in the 70s and 80s. But you remember there was a time when we we all held our breath every time OPEC met. Why? Right. Because we knew they weren't going to help us. We knew they were going to hurt us if they possibly could. Uh, those days ended, and now they've come back. I mean, the attention paid to this recent meeting was mind-boggling. Yeah, for you and me, it's we're old enough to remember '74 and the Arab oil embargo and all that. And and you know, come on, I mean, those are the kind of things you got to learn from and make darn sure we'd never repeat. And then they were talking about peak oil, like we wouldn't be able to go get it. And then we develop hydraulic fracturing and directional drilling and all these kind of things. And you know, we we could produce oil forever and then some. And again, we do it with such better technology and such better environmental stewardship and all these things. You know, good grief. We learned that lesson. 
we shouldn't have to be repeating this, Larry, and we wouldn't have to be repeating it if we just had the right energy policy. That's the thing, and it's not complicated. It's staring us right in the face. We just got to do it, and that's why you know we're going to continue to fight, myself and others, to, to get back to that kind of energy policy that will not only make us, as you rightly said, energy sufficient, but energy dominant. Just one last one before we take a quick break, and I hope you can stay with us on the other side because there's new oil policy threats on, on exports, for example, uh, that could be very damaging and, and no uh, leasing in the, in the offshore Gulf. But just last one, um, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was set up in response to the Arab oil embargo of the 70s, okay? It's probably not my favorite thing in the world, but we have it for emergencies, hurricanes, natural disasters, and, you know, what if the uh, Middle Eastern states now and or Russia uh, pull a fast one? They did in a small way this past week. But Biden's destroyed the SPRO. He's taken roughly almost half of the oil reserves out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And that is going to cripple that operation. And, by the way, if they want to buy it back and refill it uh, to whatever, 700 million barrels, I think it's down uh, now, I don't know, it's 400 million plus, they're going to have to do it at $100 price of oil. I mean, I think that was one of the motivations of OPEC. Instead of 50 or 60, they're going to keep it at 100, or who knows. So Biden's destroyed SPRO, which was a main baseline function for energy security as well as national security. No, that's right on. I, I think that the Saudis, I mean, obviously Russia's got a variety of interests here. We know that. I mean, they're in the in the war with the Ukraine, so there's a whole lot more going on. That's a whole conversation. But for the Saudis, they're looking at a global slowdown. So they're they're saying, okay, if we get recession, the price of oil is going to continue to go down. Mm. Then the Biden administration is going to quit taking uh, oil out and buy it back cheaper. Mm. So they, the Saudis don't want a lower price of oil. So what do they do? They say, okay, we're going to step right in front of the Biden administration, and we're going to drop it 2 million barrels. And now they've effectively stymied him on both counts. They keep the price higher, so then he can't buy it back cheaper. They're getting more money, and our consumers pay for it at the pump and in inflation. You know, Senator, uh, we like to talk in highfalutin policy terms, but I think some Americans, some middle-class working folks, would just call this policy stupid. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It sounds personal. Larry, <laughs> no, I got, I got it. I got to tell you, it wouldn't be some; it'd be a lot of them because it is. <laughs> we are talking to a very distinguished and smart John Hoban, Senator John Hoban of North Dakota, which is the home of the Bakken Shale, one of the key oil-producing states in the country. Uh, Senator, please give me uh, just a minute or two. I got to make a commercial break. I want to come back and talk about some more goofy policies on the drawing board. Uh, folks, we're with Senator John Hoban. I'm Larry Kudlow. We'll be right back. The so- subject is energy. No, the subject is stupid policies. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking with Senator John Hoban of North Dakota. Uh, Senator, two two additional points, and we thank you for your time on it, Saturday, very much. Um, number one, there's an editorial today. Uh, I guess it was today in the Wall Street Journal. The White House is considering a self-defeating ban on refinery exports. In other words, no more exports. And I think that would include LNG. Uh, but uh, ha- uh, talking about stupid, ha- how dumb is that? 
Well, the thing they don't take, it, it, it wouldn't work in terms of their policy goals because, remember, we produce, we refine, we use, we move oil around. It's a global market. And they're starting, again, to create impediments to our industry providing more supply. You can't just produce the oil or natural gas. you got to get it to market. you got to refine it and all these different things. And so every time the Biden administration tries to get involved, they create bottlenecks and problems which reduce our supply to the consumer. So that's what we've been saying from the start. Get the handcuffs off. Let our our uh, industry do what it does best, which is produce more supply for our people. And they'll do it. Don't keep coming up with these regulations and all these bottlenecks and, and time up in red tape, which is what the administration keeps doing. Um, the, the White House says uh, these exports take away from domestic supplies. But other experts in the industry, uh, U.S. Oil and Gas uh, and the American Petroleum Institute, Mike Summers, say that uh, more American exports would actually increase production everywhere. And by the way, it would also create a lot of jobs. And by the way, it would also help our allies in Europe. Well, that's it. Again, they keep trying to regulate and have this command and control economy. Larry, tell me, when have we ever seen a command and control economy work? When has it ever produced more supply? That's the whole point. They're, they're the problem. They need to get out of the way. And, and again, the other thing that would really make a difference is if they would uh, let us produce on federal lands, let us uh, stop. They're holding up all the permits and all that activity. But, yeah, I mean, they're the problem. We've got to let our industry work. And when they come in and start trying to direct how it should work, obviously that produces less supply, not more. And we need more domestic supply. So the, the other policy uh, percolating, uh, I think we're very cl- – uh, we, the Bidens are close to this, is um, uh, putting an end, blocking all, uh, I guess, permitting, leasing, drilling in uh, federal offshore oil. So they're just going right. to they, they still okay. They they put a moratorium on all leasing on federal uh, lands onshore and offshore. Hmm. Now they've only opened up twenty percent onshore, and they raised the royalties and they raised the taxes and their whole. They say there's that, that there are leases out there they've awarded. That's true, and they're holding them up by either a not permitting them or b the environmental groups are holding them up in court, so they can't be produced. And offshore, they haven't done anything because they're studying and they're putting out proposals on how to do it. They can, you know, delays defeat. They can do that forever. The point is, they come out with these policies on how they're going to, you know, get in and talk about exports and that kind of stuff. All they really need to do is come out and say, okay, we we now are going to put a. a a push on producing oil and gas here at home and then give the industry what it needs to do it. And it would immediately, it would immediately bring the price down even before that supply comes to the market, which it would cut. That's the most expeditious way to do it, Larry. Even before that, you know, it would bring the price down because people, you know, that's the futures market. People anticipate right. now they're going to let our people produce and that'll bring it down immediately. You know, you know that. That's a great point. Market X. Ex- Energy market expectations will shift quickly, uh, and sure. and bring a lot and, of that price is and anticipated those, future direction right. of supply. That's you know right. that. That's exactly no. That's a hundred percent right. The futures market, and then it gets discounted into the. Uh, you're you're just exactly right. So I mean, here we go. So OPEC, uh, you know, puts a stick in, in Biden's eye and, and cuts back production, and the two things that come out is a, a ban on refinery exports and a ban on offshore drilling. 
I mean, that's like the white flag of surrender, Senator Hovind. I mean, it's just the white flag. Instead of fighting, as you say, you know, the Energy Information Agency said a couple years ago we would be at 14 million barrels per day in 2022 this year, on our way to 15 million barrels a day in 2024. Instead, as you pointed out, in North Dakota and elsewhere, we're cutting back. We're still under 12 million. I mean, this is the white flag of surrender. That's the way I see it. Larry, I got to invoke the name of a guy that you work for and I know have immense respect for, me too, President Ronald Reagan. You know, if you want want less of something, you tax it and you (laughs) regulate it, and that's exactly what they're doing. And if you want more, you encourage that investment by the industry and, and allow market forces to work. And and that's exactly what we're seeing happen is is he's holding it up with taxation, regulation, restriction, government direction, instead of just letting our folks do what they do best and what they can do if we just let them do it. Take the handcuffs off. I love that. Take the handcuffs off. Love that. Going to use it. <laughs> we're not going to put it into heavy use. <laughs> one last one, Senator Hovind. Um, the Joe Manchin permitting crusade looks like it's come to nothing. After all this thinking, we got this stupid bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the Inflation Expansion Act because of all its spending. Now, what is up with this permitting stuff? It looks like for the moment, at least until the cavalry comes, it's dead. Well, that's the thing is we can't do permitting and name only, right? We can't have permitting and name only. So, Shelley, more capitals put forward a bill. If Democrats seriously want to do something on permitting instead of just talk about it, then they need to look at that bill, and, and then you might be able to move something forward. But you may be right. If, if they're just going to talk about it, not really be able to do something that works. Uh, you know, we've got to win this election in 22, stop the Biden agenda, get these things going that, that work. You, know, you saw the House plan, uh, and, and then uh, win in 24 and get back to the kind of policies that, mm. uh, you know, that we – uh, we'll grow our economy and, and uh, get back to energy dominance and empower our people and get rid of this terrible inflation. Uh, just the last one, then. So you have an ear to the ground. How's the election look in the in the Dakotas, in the mountain states? What are you seeing, Senator Hovind? Well, I think, you know, we're working hard as our, our Republican candidates across the board. And, and we know that, you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're hopeful in the House that uh, Republicans will get a majority in, in the Senate. You know, we got to keep working. It, it's, a, it's a tough race, and, and we have to defend more seats than uh, uh, the Democrats. So we, we got to keep, keep working here and hope we can get the majority. All right. Senator John Hoven, North Dakota, can't thank you enough. Terrific rundown. All right, folks, we're going to take Thanks, a quick sir. break. 